0: We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. We've been uh, going through a series, uh, going through uh, the book of Ephesians, going through the idea of what God has done and what that means for us to do. And the idea of understanding is when you read the book of Ephesians, and I love going book by book, verse by verse, because when you do that, it's really hard to miss stuff. And the other part of that is this. I don't know about you, but there's verses of Scripture that are tough, and there's past Scriptures that are tough. When you go through it that way, it kind of makes you go through the hard things, and I love that. I love studying that. And so we kind of got through here, and we got to Ephesians 6. I know many of you are like, you ever feel we're at Ephesians 6? I'm thinking maybe one, two sermons, you'll be done. And here we are at the fourth sermon in just the Armor of God series part that we've done, the little series within the series. And so we started a few weeks ago talking about, in this little bit, talking about be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And I know I say that each week, and probably any time you can say it, but if there's a day and age we live in that we need to be strong in the Lord and not in ourselves, it's today. It's the time in which we live in now and in the power of His might. We looked at the first week, the idea is that as believers, we're in a battle. We're in a war. I don't know if you don't even have to turn the news on. You got social media, you got pretty much everything letting you know that the world is not, everything's not spinning the way you would think it would spin. There's an uncertainty in the world. There's anger, there's bitterness, there's evil, there's everything you can think of that's in the world today. And We talked about how our enemy in life is not your spouse. Your enemy in life is not the person that lives across the street. And may I just say this, the enemy in your life is not the person that disagrees with you. Right. The enemy in your life is the world, the flesh, which is ourselves, right. and the devil. And that's what we see. And so we started looking at these different pieces of scripture here a few weeks ago. And we looked at the first one as looking at the idea where it talks about the belt of truth. It says, having therefore your loins girt about with the belt of truth. And then we looked at uh, last week, having on the breastplate of righteousness. And as we try to remember is this, the Pharisees were righteous, but they were self-righteous. Scripture is not talking about the breastplate of righteousness being our righteousness, but it's that righteousness that we have in Christ. And last week we looked at this, the righteousness that you have in Christ is twofold. It's positional righteousness. It means that because you're in Christ now, because you're saved, it means that when God looks at you now, he doesn't say guilty. He says not guilty, that we are made the righteousness of God in him. But also, there's practical righteousness, and that's what Paul's talking about here. When he says, put on, put on means there's something i got to do. And so we're going to look at these verses here in just a little bit. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 6 and begin reading in verse 10. And you say, Phil, we've read these a few weeks. That's all right. If you get to know them by heart, more power to you. It'll be good, all right? Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 10. The Bible says this, finally, this is the last thing Paul tells them. My brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil or the devices or strategies. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Verse 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And he gets into the different parts. Verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, Wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, Paul says, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Let's pray together if we can. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. And Lord, we just come to you this morning. And God, as the song was just sang, Lord, you, you are mighty to save. Lord, as we sang, what can wash away my sins? So that we can actually sing that last song when we all get to heaven. God, I just thank you for always being the God that's more than enough. Thank you, God, that you know our needs before we even ask them. But you still want us to ask. And Lord, I pray as we take your word this morning, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, I don't know who's here today that might be needing some direction and guidance in life. I pray that your word would be a lamp unto their feet and a light to their path. God, for that person today that needs comfort, that person today that needs hope. Lord, I pray that you would just give that to them. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody in our midst today that is here that does not have a relationship with Christ, may they put down religion and pick up what it truly means to be a child of God. God, I pray that Satan would not steal that good seed of your word today. Father, I pray as I take your word, I pray that you would cleanse me of sin and self, fill me with your spirit. May I not say anything that you wouldn't have me to say. But God, give me boldness to say what you have. Thank you for these people here, Lord. I pray you bless them, their families, their jobs, everything they do. May Christ be honored and magnified in all that we do. Be with my wife and kids as they're away. Please keep them safe in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we started a few weeks ago, and I like visual aids. I'm just a visual aid kind of guy. We started talking about the armor of God. And so we started talking about Paul is trying for the church at Ephesus to understand, and they knew what a Roman soldier was because they were occupied by Rome. And he tried to get them to understand that you have this Roman soldier, and no, he doesn't look like me. Okay, get past that. Some of y'all have been wanting to know. That. Doesn't he look like No, he doesn't look like me. He looks a lot better than me. And so you see you got this Roman soldier, and what they would do is this. The soldiers weren't always dressed and ready to go. But when there was a disturbance, when there was a battle, when something happened— They were called, and they were called to leave their normal attire and to be ready to enter the battle is what they needed to do. But they couldn't just run into battle like this. This is not the way to fight an enemy. They would be defeated. They would be destroyed. There's no way they would overcome anything. And as we looked at last week, the idea, he says, and having your loins girt about with the gospel of truth. And the idea we talked about the belt of truth, and the belt of truth was the first thing to go on. This belt of truth is important because you know what's interesting about it. It does not serve any kind of protection. The belt of truth was used because it was the foundation, it was the undergarment, if you would, for the rest of the armor that would protect. Without the belt of truth, if they ran out there, or without this belt on, what would happen as they run, the, the armor would just kind of fall all over the place. It's kind of like the truth is what? The word of God. So without the word of God in your life, the foundation in your life, everything else is not going to have the support, not going to have the stability, it's not going to stand. Because without me having a firm truth of God's word in my life, guess what's going to happen when trials come? I'm going to look to my own righteousness. I'm going to look to my own peace. I'm going to look to my own offense that I'd be able to do to fight the things. Plus, the interesting thing about the belt was this. It was also like a utility belt. So whenever they would battle, if they had to grab another weapon or grab something to fix something, it was right there for them to go to it. So it was important. And then we looked at the breastplate of righteousness. And last week we talked about this breastplate of righteousness. And what it does is this. The breastplate will actually get her on here. The breastplate actually does what? It protects the vital organs. It protects the heart, it protects the lung, it protects. On the liver, the intestines, all those things that if it got hit, it would be a fatal wound. And we looked at the idea of this. If you live your life in your own righteousness, be prepared for a lot of hurt, and a lot of misery in your right. life. Right. But understand something. Righteousness has to be connected to truth. Amen. Right. Just like the shield had or the breastplate has to be connected to the belt. It was fastened to it. And we looked at that idea that a lot of Christians become Pharisees. And by the way, we all got a little Pharisee in us. We all got a little bit of hypocrite in us. You say, well, I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not a hypocrite. Then you are in sinless perfection, which means we're not there. And as we like to say each week, the Christian life is not about perfection, but it is about direction in which way you're heading in your life. And so we saw how it protects our heart. It protects those things. And so today we get to the one that I've been kind of looking forward to. I know many people are like, Phil, what about that shield of faith? I tell you, I'm super excited about that one next week, talking about the shield of faith. And there's a lot of great things in scripture and the metaphors and analogies that we will see here. But I want us to see something here as we talk about these gospel shoes, if you would. It says back in this verse here, in verse number 15, it says this, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So if you have a title, if you'd like to do that with the sermon today, it's the Gospel of Peace, the Gospel Shoes, and what we're going to look at and understanding a little bit better about what that meant. Now, when you look at these Gospel Shoes, and, and now I've really got to get talented because I don't have one because I have two here, and I hope I get everything on right here. And again, if I don't, you can just forgive me. And if you don't forgive me, it's okay. looks like you need to manicure pedicure a little bit. We'll be all right right there. So we're talking about the gospel of peace. Shoes were important in the Romans' day. Here's why. I've heard a story uh, before. I like studying history. I know I'm that nerd. I like that stuff. I like it a lot. But they said during World War I and World War II, one of the biggest problems that a lot of the Allied troops had was something called trench foot. Trench foot was kind of the situation because they didn't have extra socks and the boots weren't exactly the best kind of boots that they would be stuck in trenches a long time. Not always marching, but a lot of times the trench warfare where they had to sit and wait and water and mud and all those things would fill up those shoes. And eventually what happens, if you ever had wet feet, I don't like wet feet at all, but what happens is the outer surface of that skin of the foot begins to die, begins to become decayed. And if you leave it long enough without treating it, a soldier was no longer able to march. Because they weren't able to walk around. They weren't able to do that. And the idea is this. So they had to really make sure you had extra socks. But the Romans, even back in their day, Alexander the Great, probably one of the greatest military minds that ever was, said for you to be a soldier, a Roman soldier, you had to be equipped with the right type of shoes. These shoes were interesting in studying these. The shoes were about three-quarter inch leather. And they actually did, kind of like you see here, they would strap and come around the legs and the calves up here is what they would do. They're three-quarter inch because a lot of times when they would go fight somebody, it would be a lot of the uh, terrain would be muddy and those things, so they wanted to have a good footing. But also is this, a lot of people, when they realized the Romans were coming, would set out traps and nails and spikes and those kind of things. And so if they walked barefoot, you imagine, here, stepped on a nail, barefoot. You're like, I don't want to remember that, but it doesn't feel good. And so what they would do is they would be able to watch those things, and if a nail got in the shoe or in the sandal, it wouldn't make them where they're no longer able to go forward in their march in what they were doing. But also, something about Alexander Great was great. It was a genius. He's the first one that really came up with the whole idea of cleats, if you know what I mean, little bitty spikes in each shoe, because he realized something, that when he'll go out to fight, Even if one soldier was fighting another soldier, if the one soldier, whoever had the best footing, was able more than likely to win. The one that constantly was looking down at their feet, the one constantly trying to get a strong foothold, couldn't focus on the enemy. And can I tell you, as it talks about the gospel of peace, without peace in your life, you'll never have the the footing that you need to stand against the world, the flesh, and the devil. You know, I thought about this, talking about these shoes You know, I'd ask you today, how many of you came barefoot? But I I don't think probably anybody came barefoot. You say, I get here and I kick my shoes off. That's great. You do that. You enjoy that. But, you know, we probably didn't. No one probably came to church barefoot today. You know why? Because you probably walked across some gravel. You walked across some pavement. You walked across some thorns. Any of that kind of stuff when you go out. I constantly have to remind my kids when they go outside, wear shoes. She's like, just let them be a kid. Well, I get to deal with them when they come in crying. And this is in my foot. And that's in my foot. You know, and those kind of things, i like, just wear shoes. You know, just wear the shoes. Just protect your feet when you go out there. And what I want us to look at today is this idea of this gospel of peace, these gospel shoes. Because here's the thing. If they didn't have the right type of shoes, if they didn't have the right type of preparation to go forward in battle, they they, they couldn't be effective. And what we're going to look at this morning is basically three main points. And we're going to see a lot of different things here. The first thing we're going to see is the gospel of peace. The next thing we're going to see is how the gospel gives us readiness, as we see here in this passage. And then lastly, it'll be a very short point, just to let you know. But the last point is a very practical thing, is we're going to look at this, well, how do I put on these shoes? First couple points are going to last a little bit, but at the end, as I feel like it's important every single week, is the practicality, how do I put it on? But number one, what I want us to see today is this. I want us to see, as it says in this verse, the gospel of peace. Let's read again, verse 15 and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Paul is saying that, you know what? The gospel of peace is important. You know, the word gospel simply means what? Good news or glad tidings. Especially good news for us, what? That are saved because it means the gospel is what? The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And may I throw this out here. May we never get over what Christ has done for us. We get over a lot of stuff quickly. We are a consumer generation that uses it, takes it it applies in the moment and we toss it out it's a very disposable generation that we live in but when we never get over the death of christ the burial of christ and as we like to worship on resurrection sunday up from the grave he arose so now that we can say as paul did in corinthians "O death where is thy sting O grave, where is thy victory and as we looked at wednesday night as we've been studying revelation we're so thankful that we can be born twice and only have to die once Instead of being born once and have to die twice, which is a spiritual death. And so we want to see here what is the gospel of peace. Well, it's a couple of things here. If you like to go along, I've got a few sub points. You know me. I like outlines and those kind of things. But I want you to talk about the gospel of peace. I want you to tell you the first sub point is this, is that it brings us peace with God. The gospel of peace brings us peace with God. You may have been saved for a lot of years. You may have been in church longer than anyone else in your family. But I want you to understand something today if you're a believer. There was a day in your life that you were the enemy of God. There was a day in your life where there was separation, hostility, between the God that you now love and that saved you and your soul. And that thing that separated you was sin. That thing that separated us is sin. And you were the adversary of God. He is our creator. He's our sustainer. He's our lawgiver. He's all these wonderful things. But John 3, 36 makes it very clear. Talking about those who do not believe on God, it says what? The wrath of God abideth on him. You know, we don't like to think about it. But everybody you know, and even those that you don't know that are without Christ, currently, right now, the wrath of God is just abiding. It's right. It's waiting. You say, wait a minute, God is a God of love. Can I tell you, God cannot be a God of love if he's not a God of justice. You say, well, I just want to hear about the love of God. Can I tell you, if you understand the wrath of God, you'll appreciate the love of God a whole lot more. I tell you, I'm glad I don't get what I deserve. I'm glad you don't get what you deserve. But the idea of peace with God and Romans chapter five, verse number one, I had tons of verses I was going to give you today, but. You know, you just have to follow along if you like. But Romans 5, 1 a great verse that says this. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say through our Lord Jesus Christ and baptism and good works and maybe a member of a church and tithing and and and. Because there's a problem. I have righteousness. I'm justified. That means I was a sinner and I have been made the righteousness of God through Christ, not through me. All the rest of that's me. All right. It's all about me then, and that's not what it's talking about. It means that because of Christ, that hostility that stands between me and God, that stood before you and God, thank God, is no longer there. Is really scary to think about being the enemy of God, isn't it? It's really scary to think about that. But anybody that's outside of the family of God, because they've not received the gift of salvation... They're still on the outside. They are still the enemy. They're enmity with God in those things. But the great thing is they don't have to be that way. And when it talks about we have salvation, that means that he pardons our sins. And that's through the blood of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, that he can look and say not guilty. A verse that I like to read a lot is Second Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. And it even goes a step further about this peace with God. It's not just that we are now righteous, but it's Jesus swapped places with us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, God, for he made him, being Christ, for he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made in him the righteousness of God. You know, I've said this before, it's not original with me, but you know, always think about the cross that God had to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Amen. That we are the righteousness of God because Christ became the curse of sin that we were. Now, you might be struggling with that this morning. You might be saying, Phil, I understand you're saying. You're strong, strong words. Curse, condemnation, sin, enemy of God. That's the problem. We live in the good old south, and we think just being a good old boy, being a good old girl is going to get us there. But here's the problem. You won't find this in the book. That goes back to the truth, and it known. talks about not my righteousness, but his righteousness, and understanding that we are made righteous, but we're made righteous because the father turned his back on his son. Because, remember Jesus, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because God can no longer look on his son because he made him to be my sin. Right. Don't really dive into this long. Think about your sins. Think about your past that you don't really like to think about. Christ didn't just forgive you of that. He took that on himself, the guilt on that. Right. So that you and I could go away <clears throat> clean. Pure. Amen. Like we never had participated in it. Now you say, feel... You're talking about peace with God. Now, you're talking about my emotional health, right? My emotional state. No, I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about how God considers you, how God looks at you. And when God looks at you now, he doesn't see you in your sinfulness. He sees the blood of Christ. If you would, if you're there in Ephesians, just flip back just a couple of chapters, if you would. In chapter number two, and I know it seems like several months ago that we went through chapter two. Uh, But in chapter 2, just to help us get a little bit of understanding. and talking about how Christ became sin and truly to understand today what Christ has done for you, what Christ has done for me on the cross. We love the first few verses there, for by grace are we saved through faith. We get that. We love that. But I want you to a moment to really appreciate Ephesians 2, verses uh, 12, excuse me, verse 12 through 14. Ephesians 2, verse 12. That at the time you were thou... Christ, right, unsaved, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of hope, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus. Ye who were sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is what our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Man, there's so much in those verses Amen. right there. In that verse, it says, ye who were what? I, have re- I like to write things in my Bible. I have written down or underlined in verse 12 without Christ because there was a time you and I were without Christ. But I love, if you know the Lord, verse 13 says, but now in Christ, that we're in Christ. And what it says there, what? We were made nigh. We're able to come to God. How? Through the blood of Christ. And Amen. I won't take time to go through it, but that last part of verse 14 says that Jesus has broken down that middle wall of partition. Just real quick, I'll just explain it like this. Temple, they had the holy place. Priests could go there. Inside of that was the holy of holies. Only the high priest could go in there once a year. He had to be pure and right in his life. He offered the sacrifice of a lamb. And he only he could go into the holy of holies because it was a symbol of God's presence. And he would pour out and ask forgiveness of sins for himself and the whole people. So you had a holy of holies. You had the holy place. You had the outer court. You had the court of women after that. And then you had this wall. And you say, who was, what was the wall for? Because that was just for the Jews. For the rest of us, that's called Gentiles. We were allowed to see the temple, but we had to be on the other side of the wall. So we couldn't get close. We couldn't do it no matter how much we wanted, what we did, what we tried, how much we gave. We had to stand behind that wall and just look. But it says that when Jesus died, what happened to the veil? Temple torn. It was torn in two. Oh, I love loved it came from the top to the bottom, not the bottom to the top. I just Uh, love that. You know why? Jesus said, it is finished. That means you don't need a priest anymore. Glory. Them poor lambs get to live a little bit longer. You don't have to sacrifice them. And now you and I get the ability through the Lord Jesus Christ that we may come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may maintain health and mercy and grace in our time of need. And it's not just for the Jew, it's also for the Greek, it's for the Gentile. And God tore down that middle wall so now you and I, because of Christ, can go right into his presence. Amen. Next Amen. time you bow your head, or hopefully here in just a little bit, when you talk to God, remember you get to do something that the average Old Testament person didn't get to do. Whenever you pray, whether you're leading prayer or in corporate prayer, and you pray, and I hope you're praying, by the way. When we do that corporate prayer, you're not thinking about your grocery list and all those fun things that we can do. But remember, every time you pray, that you are coming into the presence of Almighty God.
1: And I like to say this
0: because I need it. If I will truly think about when I say Father, and I think about being in the presence of God, I'll probably think a little bit more about how I pray. And the more I think about how I pray, the more I quit wanting, wanting, complaining, and I start thanking and praising yes, for what he's done in my life because we have peace with God. You know that song we just got through singing, what, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Christ gives us peace with God. Some people say it sometimes, I made my peace with God. That means they have salvation. They have a relationship with with christ and may i just encourage you today if you're here today and you've never trusted christ as your savior you never will really understand what peace is but you'll never have peace with god you'll always be on the other side until you trust him as your savior it's the most important thing there is in life right. Amen. is to have peace with god speaking of salvation but the second part of this i want us to see talking about the gospel of peace Is not just peace with God, but there's an internal peace, and that's called this, the peace of God. You say, Phil, that's the same thing. Peace with God, peace of God, the same thing. No, it's not. See, a lost person can't have the peace of God until they've made peace with God. Amen. But may I say, there's a lot of believers walking around this earth, and you're looking at one a lot of times to have peace with God, but we're not living in the peace of God. The joy of peace. You say, Phil, look at my circumstances. Well, here's the thing. Either the circumstances are God, or God is the God of the circumstances. It's one or the other. We can have that internal peace. We can go through those storms. I tell you, probably the best passage of Scripture, and you know I like it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. It says, be careful or be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. That's talking about our prayer life. It says, don't be anxious about it. Pray about it. We like to say around here, it's kind of backwards. We like to sometimes do this. Why pray about it when you can worry about it? Say, isn't that backwards? Yep, and I'm backwards a lot. Don't worry about something more than you pray about something. Because we love Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God which passes all understanding. Shall keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you like to write in your Bible, I've done this. The result of praying about it, the result that you want is the peace of God. You don't get Philippians 4-7 without Philippians 4-6. You don't get the peace of God until you're not anxious and careful and all those things. And by the way, you can even back it up to verses Philippians 4-6 are required if you're going to ever have the peace of God that passes all understanding. Heard someone say a long time, you can either let God keep your heart or you can keep your worry. Philippians 4, 7, and it says, And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall what? Keep your hearts and minds. Let Christ keep your heart. Don't keep your worry. Don't keep that anxiety that's in your life. Isaiah 26, 3 is kind of our verse that we have on our website. It says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Because he trusteth in me. You say, Phil, I've never had perfect peace. Perfect just means complete. Doesn't mean you're never ever going to worry. He can keep me in complete peace if my mind is stayed on him because I trust in him. Let me ask you a question if you're a believer. Do you know the peace of God in your circumstances? Do you as a believer know the peace of God in your circumstances? I didn't ask you, are your circumstances peaceful? I'm saying, do you know the peace of God in your circumstances? I tell you what happens to a lot of us, and and I just know this. I know many of you are in storms today. I know many of you. We're close. I like the closeness of our church. I know that there's people in this room that are going through storms of health, storms of finances, storms of family and relationship issues. You're going through tribulations. You're going through trials. You're going through all kinds of things in your marriage. You're going through all kinds of circumstances that are so far from peaceful. But do you have the peace of God in the circumstances? Or are you waiting for those circumstances to magically become peaceful? It's not gonna happen. You all that go here a lot know my favorite hymn. There's a man by the name of Horatio Spafford, and I'm not gonna go into all the details. Horatio Spafford lived in Chicago and during, I believe it's 1871, the great Chicago fire just about ruined everything that Horatio Spafford had. Lost everything. So in 1873, two years later, Horatio Spafford put his wife and four daughters on a ship from America to go back to England. While going back to England, a storm came up and blew, and one ship ran into the other ship, and the ship that had his wife and four daughters on it quickly sank, and all four of his daughters died. And only a little while later, Horatio Spafford gets a telegram from his wife And it said these two words, saved, alone. Can you imagine the grief that had to come upon him and his wife's heart to lose all four of their girls? A little bit later, Spafford got on a ship and was going over, and because of it being big news, when they got close to the spot, they said, this is a place where the the sea consumed those people. And the response of Horatio Spafford was this, the famous hymn, when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul. Amen. He penned those words in the very location that he lost and how can he do that? How can he say it is well? Because he knew God loved him. That's why if you ever skip a verse in a hymn and a lot of y'all know this about verses we skip verse 3 a lot right? That's what we do. Verse 3, and it as well, is probably my favorite verse. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise right. the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Spafford knew that God loved him. Amen. He knew that God was not punishing him. And the sooner you get in your life that God's not punishing you as a believer, but trying to help you in sanctification and being more like Christ, It'll help you with that worry. And I know I say it a lot, and you can quote it, but I do. Remember, God is not in love with some future version of you, some better version of you. He's in love with you right now. Amen. And he wants to make you into who he wants you to be. And the hope that he had, the reason he had the peace of God is the hope. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sighted. Clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound. And the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. That's the peace of God. That's the peace of God that passes all human understanding. That's what that is. Do you have it today? God bless. Brother. Do you have it? And again, I don't really mean to go back here a lot, but it's important. If you're here without Christ, may I tell you, Isaiah 48, 22 says, there is no peace, saith the Lord, to the wicked. That means those that are without Christ. You'll never have it apart from Christ. Trust him today. Trust in what he's done. So we saw first, we saw the gospel of peace. The second thing we see here is how the gospel gives us readiness. You say in the verse here as we read, it says in Ephesians 6, verse number 15, in your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The word preparation there means readiness. You probably asked that question today if you didn't come here by yourself. You didn't say, are you prepared? You said, are you ready? And some of you probably dreaded knowing what the answer to that question was, and you knew it before you asked it. By the way, don't you hate it when people ask you questions? They know it. They just going to mess with you. But how the gospel gives us this preparation, gives us this readiness, I think there's some things that we can see here, and a few points underneath that is this. How the gospel gives us readiness. First, I see this gives us readiness to stand firm against spiritual attacks. The gospel gives us readiness to stand firm against spiritual attacks. Between verses 10 of Ephesians 6 and verses 14, Paul says four times this word, stand. Stand. He even said one time it says withstand. Same idea. It says to stand. You know what that means? Something's coming. Something's coming. Anybody have an idea in January what we're going to be looking at? In July, but the question is, how ready were we? We weren't ready for this, we weren't ready for that I'm not talking about physically I'm talking about spiritually in your mind and your heart and that peace that probably bounces up and down in your heart and mind and understanding what it says here is the idea of standing and standing firm in this. By the way, the gospel tells us over and over again how we are to be steady and to be able to stand against things the importance of standing. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says this, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit like men, be strong. That phrase there is very much a military language saying, Be strong in the faith. Let me ask you, do you feel firm in your faith today? I ain't asking you to brag on yourself. I ain't asking you how much you gave. I don't ask you how much you go to church. I'm saying, do you feel in your faith, and we're really going to get into it next week, but stand firm. I don't know if there's a person in this room that ain't got hit hard. I mean, some of you in this room have got hit a lot harder than ever dream of being hit by life and spiritual attack. But the Bible says that a righteous man or a just man doesn't say don't fall down. It says he falleth down, but he gets back up because he stand firm. It's kind of like if you grew up, I used to, I don't, I don't like clowns a whole lot. I know some of y'all really don't like clowns. I get that. But you remember that little inflatable thing that had the weight on the bottom and you could punch it and it go down and come back up. You buy that for your kids because you're like, burn all this energy, okay, buddy? Just knock yourself out, okay? Just don't let it knock you out. You hit it and hit it and hit it and hit it. No matter how many times you hit it, that thing came right back up, right? Kind of that analogy. You're going to get hit. If you're looking for the Christian life to make you free from problems, you don't know this book, and everyone that teaches about the prosperity gospel, you love God, and you'll never have any problems in your life. So they're probably not even got the gospel and salvation themselves. All right? By the way, they have peace, but their peace is in finances. Their peace is in other things. But we can have the peace of God that, again, passes all understanding. Galatians 5.1, Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He says, Stand firm in the freedom that you and I have in Christ. We're not going to read the verse in 1 Peter, but he talks about the true grace of God allows us to stand firm in it. Stand firm in that grace that God has called us to. Over and over and over again, he's basically telling this hold your ground. Hold your ground. So many illustrations you could give about history and wars. But let's be practical. You lose your job, hold your ground. That illness comes to you, hold your ground. Whenever it feels like those that you love the most betray you, Remember the Lord Jesus Christ washed the feet of Judas just hours before he betrayed him. He knew he did it. Hold your ground. And not in yourself, but in the peace of God. Not in the peace of yourself. I'm not saying you can't cry. I'm not saying you don't get upset. I don't say you can't get emotional. And it's not saying you can't get discouraged or depressed, but don't stay there. Amen. Anybody says, I don't ever get discouraged. Well, they don't have any feelings. They're probably a robot and they're lying to you while they're at it. They just like to hide it. Remember, it's all right to get knocked down, but stand up. Amen. And may I encourage you today? There's some Christians that have been laying on the ground an awfully long time. And by the way, you can stay knocked down and attend church every Sunday. True. Because you're just checking that box off. You just won't make God happy with you. But God is most joyed. (laughs) In our peace and trust and holiness with Him. And understanding that. But we see a readiness against a spiritual assault. But we also see a readiness to suffer for Christ. You say, what do you mean to suffer for Christ? The Apostle Paul in Acts 21.13 is heading to Jerusalem. And the people of the church there that Paul started said, Hey, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. They're going to bind you. They're going to turn you over to the Gentiles. They beg Paul, don't go. If you go, you're going to be in prison. And Paul's response in Acts 21, 13 says this. For I'm ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. You know what he says? I'm ready to suffer. That's what it means. Right. A lot of us, let's just be honest, and I say us. Everybody's happy about you being a Christian. You're great. But when it comes time to suffer, we, we tuck tail and run. That's why at the family gatherings, of people talking about church and God, you're good. But the moment it turns away from that, we get really quiet about our faith. Because we don't want to suffer. Now, I ain't saying stand up on top of the table, beat them upside the head with that. There's a different way of doing that. But the idea of suffering for him, sometimes we'll do that. I heard it said one time that every believer should be ready to do Three things. Speak about Jesus, pray to Jesus, and meet Jesus. At all times, we should be ready to speak about Jesus, to pray to Jesus, but also to meet him. It's the idea that sometimes we might be called to suffer. Hey, you say, well, hey, I don't want to suffer. I don't either. I'm not looking for pain. But I love how in Romans 8 it says this, if God be for us, who can be against us I. if god is for us and when you reflect on the great blessings of the gospel there's no reason to despair and if you get nothing else as a believer let get this i have this highlighted underlined in my notes the gospel of peace gives us peace within even when we are at pe- have no peace without the gospel of peace gives us peace within even when we are not at peace without that's what it does It gives us that peace within, whether we're not peace without in the things that we do. Have you ever noticed sometimes in your suffering, maybe the worst aspect of it is your heart and your head? When you really go through something, it's that mental. You're thinking about it. You're worried about it. It it worries your heart. It worries your head. It's a lot of those things, that anxiety and those things that happen. You know, I like to say this. A lot of times. We're so fearful of what may happen that it doesn't even matter when it happens because we don't chewed up every nerves and everything we got worrying about if it's going to happen. Right. And sometimes when we feel like something's going to happen, we're going to lose something or lose someone. It's almost a greater detriment to us and harder on us because we're so worried about the loss that when the loss comes, it's not as bad as we thought because we spent all that time. I've heard people say this, don't worry about Tomorrow. You know, I don't borrow from tomorrow. Don't borrow worry from tomorrow. There's plenty to worry about today, even though we're not supposed to worry. There's plenty of problems tomorrow. Someone said this not long ago, and I forgot who it was, and I thought it was great. God is not constricted to time. You know what that means? You know why I'm not going to worry about tomorrow? Because he's already there. Amen. You ever thought about that? I'm not going to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not going to worry about this week. I'm going to be consumed with the peace of God today. Because God's already there tomorrow. That don't make sense to me, but God don't have to make sense to me. God don't have to make sense to you, and isn't that hard? <laughs> I like it when God makes sense. I like it when God gets my schedule of how things are supposed to work. God did his, That is not what the itinerary said, God. It said it's supposed to be this, and it's supposed to be this. And it's great because every time I give in to him, his way is a lot better than my way. Amen. As for God, his way is perfect and maketh my way perfect as we see that. But we see the other part of that is this. It's not just that readiness, but it's the readiness to share the good news with others. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. What it's saying is be ready. You say, Phil, I don't have all the answers. Guess what? None of us do. If we had all the answers, we wouldn't need faith, would we? If we had all the answers, we wouldn't need trust. We had all the answers. We'd have our own peace in those things. And it says be ready always when we do that. It's the idea of understanding what the Bible says and be ready to answer. It says when someone asks you, why are you different? You say, Phil, I don't know everything about salvation. You know at least a little bit. Because you trusted Christ, tell them what Christ did for you. Well, I don't know the Romans Road and all the points. I don't know all that. But you know what Jesus did in your life? Just share with them that ready to share that good news you know and it's interesting talking about the the feet because isaiah 52 7 says how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news it's just welcoming and i believe that's why in romans ten thirteen through 15 the bible says this for whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord shall be saved we love that verse right but how will they call on him in whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? And how are they to preach except they be sent? And the very next part of that verse that we leave out says, How beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel. It doesn't say those are the most talented. doesn't say those are the most skilled. doesn't say those have the most knowledge. Those are the most equipped. You've all probably heard the phrase, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Amen. It's not saying, God, I want you to do this. It's saying, God, make me willing, so that way you can do something. And being ready to share that gospel. And then the last point, the point you've been waiting for, and I told you it's the one that's really short. Okay? Anybody getting hungry yet? You're like, well, now I am. Thanks a lot. Okay, good. But how do we put on these gospel shoes? It's great. I understand what the gospel is. It's it's peace with God that leads to peace of God. How does it help us? It gives us a readiness. What? to stand against those attacks that we face, it helps us. And when it comes time to suffer for Christ, it helps us in letting people know about Christ. I get all that. But how do I do it? How do I apply it? And the few quick thoughts I have for this is this. How do I put on these shoes? Well, first is this. You have to know the gospel. You can't apply anything you don't know. Right. You know what the danger in our world is? A lot of really good people... Tell people about what they think this book says. They have no idea what it says. We go off feelings, we go off emotions. Well, I feel like God would, but does God say that? I know the Bible says this. Be be very careful when you use that phrase. I know God says, but you're putting yourself on the wrong side there. But you have to know the gospel. And by the way, I, I don't take for granted that everybody here knows the gospel, I think a lot of you know parts of the gospel. But understanding is just the idea of the gospel that you believed, and understanding and, and diving deeper into it. Do you know it? Do you know how to share it? Do you know how to express it? Do you know how to articulate it? I ain't saying you got to three points in a poem. I ain't saying you got to do that. But can you do that? And one of the most important things to do in knowing the gospel is to read it. Amen. You and I both know when we wake up tomorrow and hit Monday and whatever that's going to look like now. What are you going to be tempted to do? Let's read more of the Bible today and let's pray. No. You got the world, you got your job, you got the kids, you got everything in the world. Probably done caught on fire by the time you woke up, right? You've got to study this book. Hey, you need to you need to come to worship regularly. You need to come to worship regularly. We're doing this thing on Sunday nights now called life groups. What we're doing is we've got three different groups that meet here at the church. We have three different people lead it. And what we're doing is we're doing Bible studies together where we study the Bible and we have conversation, dialogue back and forth to try to help one another and the different things that we face in life. That's why we're doing that because we want to study this book and the ones that lead those life groups, the ones that lead those things, we see the importance of what? Knowing the gospel, not random facts. I'm full enough random useless knowledge in my life, okay? I got enough of that. But the idea of understanding what the Bible says, know the gospel, but also this, you got to believe it. You say, "Phil, that's crazy." What I mean by that is this, embrace it for yourself. How many times have you sat in a sermon? How many times have you read the Bible? How many times have you listened to a podcast? And God says very lovingly right here, this is what you need. And you acknowledge it. And you say it's good. And you go about your merry way. We deceive, as James says, our own selves. Man, that's good. Man, I want that. But we go out the door and we got to worry about lunch and we got to worry about work. Man, what does it talk about? And the cares of this world choked out that good seed. It's not enough. It's not enough to hear the word. we got to believe it. Amen. Do you really believe train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old he will not depart from it? Do you truly believe that I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee? Do you truly believe that God is sovereign? Meaning that God is not necessarily controlling everything, but everything that comes in your life has already went through the sovereign grace hands of Almighty God. There's nothing that's going to happen to you that God has not already allowed to happen. Do you believe that? It's kind of like this. It's kind of like here In a little bit, I'm gonna go home. I got food in the fridge, I'm excited. I got a little bit of potato salad left there, but nobody touches it. I'm pretty stoked about that. Yes, I do like potato salad, some of you are pretty shocked about that. Okay, I got some of that stuff sitting there. We got some different desserts. I got a moon pie sitting on top of the fridge. If you take a moon pie, nuke it for 15 seconds, drop yeah. vanilla ice cream on top of it, it is gooey wonderfulness. If you haven't tried it, you're not totally spiritual, but you're getting there. Okay, that's what I mean. Okay, it's like going home being hungry, saying, Man, the food's right there, man, I'm just not gonna eat it. But I'm hungry. I don't need it. Man, I'm thirsty. There's plenty of water right there. but I'm not going to drink it. Man, I'm sick. i got a good doctor that wants to give me medicine, wants to help me, gives me the prescription. I take the prescription and chuck it and just continue being ill. That's the same thing because many of us do the same thing spiritually. We hear it, but we don't believe it. We don't accept it. And the last thing is this. Let the gospel shape you. Let it shape your thoughts. Let it shape your motives. Let it shape everything that you do. Imagine what your family would look like if the gospel was the model for your family. What would your relationship with your wife and your husband be like if what Christ wanted, if the gospel is what shaped how you treated your husband, your wife, your kids, those relationships around you? Let the gospel shape your life. How would those circumstances that you face, how would they be different? And let me invite you today. Let me ask you, has this happened to you? Do you have peace with God? Some of you may have been members of this church or other churches forever. That doesn't mean you have peace with God. Do you know that you know that you know that you're saved? And if you have peace with God, believer. Let's enjoy the gift of peace of God, not to be free from circumstances, but to be free from the worry and burden of those circumstances, to have peace within when there's no peace without, to have that in our lives. If you would, let's stand together. We'll close in a word of prayer here in just a moment.